Cause we got the alternative energy Unmicular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello, you are tuned in to the Radioactive Show Broadcasting for our 40th year In the studios of 3CR Melbourne On Wurundjeri Country of the Kulin Nation This week's show is brought to you by Emma Crunch and today we've got a really special show. I had the opportunity to have conversations with Uncle Kevin Buzzacott, Arabana Elder, at his home in Adelaide. And there's a few freeway sounds in the background. And also with Bilbo Taylor, who's a long-term activist currently living in Perth. And I spoke to him just before he was going to take off on the Carla Milieu walk. You'll hear some thoughts and reflections from Uncle Kevin and Bilbo on their 30 or more years of fighting against the Olympic Dam uranium mine, which is situated on Kukatha country and affects Arabana country in South Australia. And we'll also hear about how they've kept continuing with their activism and the strength of the connection of land and culture and the alliances between traditional owners and supporters. Anyhow, I'm Kevin Buzzacott, uh, Arab and uh, elder and peacemaker. Uh, today we at uh, today is the seventh of June, and uh, I'm doing an interview with uh, Crunchy. Yep. For three CR to let all the people out there a bit of an update of what might be happening up in that area and uh, maybe talk about the lizard bites back as well. Mm. So, uh, no, it's good. It's always good to have a yarn in the 3CR group and say hello to all the Melbourne crowd out there. And uh, we have uh, lizard bite back. We have uh, amper coming up in the... West mm. in September, and uh, we have the red tour that friends of the earth do every so often. Mm. And uh, we're encouraging new people or people that haven't been out there to support us in combating this uh, horrible industry, which is uranium. Uh, we want to shut down the Olympic Dam. And also in South Australia, we've got uh, the uh, big waste threat happening in the, in the north where they've been talking to some people up there and uh, they've been having lots of meetings. And uh, they're trying to find a suitable place or a place somewhere up there mm. to uh, drop this waste. But there is no, you can never find a suitable place to drop waste. Waste is a horrible thing and we've told a lot of these people way back, even some of the old elders that I knew before, were told that, uh, told the industry and the government and the mining companies do not, uh, not to uh, develop uranium, leave it where it is. and. Uh, so now they've got all this waste, they want to put it on some beautiful country and mm. 
destroy that environment and also they've got to stop conning and tricking people mm. and saying whether it's good and, and uh, all that. Hi, Bilbo. Hi, how are you going? Good, and thanks heaps for coming on. Um, so, just wondering about your involvement um, with protests at Olympic Dam. What are the standout historic moments that you see in the years of protest? Well, there's been a long history of protests at Olympic Dam, like our uh, years out at Lake Air as keepers of Lake Air and living at the Arabana Coming Home Camp, which was situated on the Indiana Track, mm. right across the road from Lake Air South. So it's pretty remote. 90 k's from Murray, 127 k's from William Creek, and 130 k's recently from Roxby Downs. So um, that was like the next aberration. The original protests happened in the early 80s, you know, and included, we uh, were led by Aboriginal people back then, you know, mm. and the, again, you know, the second iteration of the protest camps was um, set up by uh, Kevin Buzzacott, who's an Arabana and Kulaba elder. Mm. from the region and again yeah protest led by aboriginal community and all the rest of us were invited in so it was, i think the whole thing the whole history of protest at Roxby is quite historic it's actually part of a broader aboriginal sovereignty and it's interesting that there's always been um emphasis on the impact uh on the surrounding land and countries as well as the very site of the Olympic Dam mind, um, which I guess would have been really apparent when you were living up near the Mound Springs. Yeah, well, that's true. Like, so the initial focus of the protests in the eighties was to stop the construction of the mine. Mm. I mean, you have to understand people out there need to understand that the mine site itself is literally dozens of sacred sites for Aboriginal people. So mm. there was a big push to stop those sites from being destroyed. And then the protests that came later in the late 1990s to early 2000s, the Keepers of Lake Air protest movement, was really situated about, uh, you know, 130 kilometres north up around Lake Air and was was concentrating on not only the uranium mining but the water usage of the mine. Mm. So for people to have put in perspective, you know, uh, under Australia is a, a body of water called the Great Artesian Basin is about one-seventh of the continent and it produces mound springs and spring systems across Australia, through South Australia, Territory, Queensland, New South Wales, etc, etc. So those springs are vital for the lifeblood of the desert ecosystems and are actually vital cultural sites for Aboriginal people across the country. So the water usage was the main focus of the Keepers of Lake Air campaign because that's mm. Kevin's country, Uncle Kevin's country, which is Arabana country. Up at Lake Air. You're listening to the Radioactive Show and to the voices of Uncle Kevin Buzzacott and Bilbo Taylor, who are both discussing their years of protesting the Olympic Dam uranium mine and more broadly, the nuclear chain in all its manifestations. I think people like us that's been out there and, you know, friends of Europe, the Rat Tours and all our mob there, uh, 
having gatherings and stuff up there and talking to them. I think we kept them honest. Mm. If it hadn't have been for us out there singing out about against this uh, horrible industry, uh, they'd probably just go ahead, boots and all. You know, they'd dig the country up, rip it up, kill it, and poison people. Mm. That's the other thing that's surfacing now. I've been at it for some time, and it's only this last couple of years we've just lost a lot of people. Mm. Since the birth of the uh, development of the Olympic Dam, uh, we have lost a lot of people, young and old, mm. from sicknesses that unheard of. It was never in that area before. <clears throat> Other than, I mean, way back the Marilinka bombs test and uh, Woomera rocket range stuff, that we couldn't record stuff them days and how many people died and all that, and how many people got sick from that area. But I tell you what, with the with the with the development of Olympic Dam, it's just slaughtered us. We've just died. Mm. Left, right, and centre, mm. and like I said, with all these sicknesses, heart attack, cancer, dialysis, all these sicknesses that I've heard of in my time, mm. and uh, it only happened since the development of these horrible places. Mm. And uh, the thing is with us is that we have to look after the country. And uh, if we don't look after the country, well, it comes back and bites you. Mm. And that's what I've been telling uh, some of these bad guys as well. Don't get caught up in it. Don't get conned. Don't get tricked. Uh, don't worry about the bloody money, because the money will kill you. Mm. That's about what's happening with people. And we're getting punished, the good people are getting punished because of the, uh, what the bad people are doing. And uh, the government, the mining company is not out of the, out of the woods yet. Uh, mm. If we could launch a full investigation and a full court case or something about these people, take them to high court or whatever it is, charge them for destroying land, destroying people. Mm. Uh, something like that I feel has to happen. Mm. Because for us to survive, we must have a good land, we must look after our land and uh, look after ourselves. And at the moment, we're not actually doing that. We're just suffering mm. from the bad uh, decision made by the government and the people, you know? Mm. Uh, I mean, they are, they'll argue that uh, these places have got to be there for uh, so it creates jobs for people, but uh, what was happening before the mines come started, you know? People mm. were working and happy where they was. You know, got to get a good clean job, not a, a, a blood money, a bloodbath money mm. job. Uh, sell your soul, you know? I mean, yeah, like campaigning in in that environment. Where, like, well, we're talking about, you know, pre-mobile phones and, yeah. you know, just this sort of like virgin start of the internet. So it was a very different 
way of campaigning. But I mean that. So and they're environmentally difficult as well because you're living in the middle of the desert for months on end. Usually during the cooler months, mm. um, it's pretty pretty impossible to live out there in those situations in summertime. And you know, remote. So remote also means you can do a lot of actions. We're doing stop work actions on the the water pumping stations and at the mine site itself, occupying the mine, we just kept doing actions over and over again over prolonged years. Mm. But also being remote meant that you were subjected to intimidation and unseen intimidation from the mine security and police and, you know, could potentially the, the potential for violence was quite great out there. There was a lot of stresses and stuff, but the basis of the campaign, which was us, living with Arawana people on country and Arawana people taking the lead mm. in protecting their country and us helping them do that, I think gave people the strength to continue over many years. And I think that's the, that, I feel that's the great strength of the campaign at Roxby Downs and indeed the Kupiti Kunga Judah campaign to stop the initial nuclear waste dump in South Australia. All of those campaigns derive their strengths from an alliance between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people. Mm. But non-Aboriginal people working in a way that supports Aboriginal sovereignty and right to self-determination. Mm. And in that, you get, you build a family. You have a family alliance. I still have family all over South Australia. Aboriginal people who are involved in that campaign. Uncle Kevin is my pop in, uh, in a sort of skin system way. He's my, my father. Mm. And that's how I relate to him. And I mean, he's one of his kids, you know. And that still carries on to today. So we have a deep... And living in that environment and campaigning and being shoulder to shoulder and, you know, having a living in quite a harsh environment, you learn to love the place where you are very mm. deeply. It's ingrained in my, my bones. Um, you know, it's the place when one day when I die, I'll go back to. Mm. So that's the strength of the campaigns out there. And that's why people keep coming back and coming back and coming back. And it's really due to the great, amazing sharing and leadership of Uncle Kevin and the Kukufiti Kunga Judah and all of those mobs out there through the Flinders Ranges and Lake Air and all of that, you know, all of those Anyamatna, Arabana and Kukula, Arabana people mm. out there who took us in and trained us and, mm. you know, gave us a way of life that is really valuable. It still continues on today, most of the people involved in those campaigns. Do you think it is for getting solidarity from people who live in the cities and um, what difference does it make when those people go out and they come out to country and learn from <coughs> you and other traditional owners of the country? Do you think it changes them? And it... I've seen that happen, uh, Crunchy. I've seen that happen a lot of times. Uh, young people and old people come out for a trip on the rat tour and even the lizard bite back, the lizard's revenge. They come up there and once they 
see the country and experience that the spirit of it and also meet us mob and all our friends on the road. Mate, it gets into them and we, and they, some, a lot of them had come and joined us in the mm. battle. And this is what we open the people to do, you know. Mm. Even if, uh, if it's a bit sick or you can't get there, but you can always donate a few bucks to help uh, help us get get help us get there and, and you know try to combat this issue. Mm. You're tuned into the radioactive show and hearing just now from Uncle Kevin Buzzacott and I also had conversations with Bilbo Taylor, who will now go on to reflect on the incredible walk that took place from nearby the Olympic Dam Mine to the Sydney Olympics in the year 2000. Yeah, yeah like, well, there were a lot of actions that, mm. like, you know, almost, you know, on a daily and weekly basis we would be doing stop work actions and occupying the mine. You know, and there are a lot of actions that would never get out there to the broader public, but it was a constant mm. stream of action. But yeah, certainly some of the big things was the walk to the 2000 Olympics, mm-hmm. which we kind of, Uncle Kevin being the master of timing, was like, right, we're going to do a walk, and we're going to walk from here to the Sydney Olympics to protest this mine. Yeah. And, like, and, you know, and people without a, I mean, this is the great thing of living in a community like that that's committed to Aboriginal sovereignty. Without batting an eyelid, you know, the authority was there and we were like, yep, let's do it. <laughs> yep, you know? which is no and small feat. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a long way. But people just made it happen. They just yep. made it happen, you know. And what worked on faith and, you know, and the trust in each other that we would make it. And we did, you know, and we went to Sydney... And we end up occupying Kurnell National Park, which is, you know, in Botany Bay, where the foot of Uncle Kevin Singh was about finding the foot, the, mm. first foot, the first footprint of where a white person set foot in this country, where Captain Cook landed, mm. you know, and we were, to, we were going to find that foot. And so we ended up occupying Kurnell National Park for nearly two months. So mm. we were there for a long time. And it was a huge deal. We had international media during the Olympics beating down our doors for that story. And Isabel, and who's sadly passed on now, from and the Aboriginal Ten Embassy in Canberra were mm. occupying a park in Sydney. So there was a big Indigenous protest in Sydney during the Olympics, which was was great because it did manage to garner international media, you know, front page stories in the New York Times and the London times and like all of these major newspapers around the world actually got the story out mm. and it was a huge embarrassment to the to the uh, Howard government at the time I remember vividly we had a, we'd have morning circles at, at Cornell and it was about well, hundreds of us by that time and um, Uncle Kevin got a phone call from John Howard's undersecretary or one of his secretaries offering forty thousand dollars. Huh. To, for us to disband the camp and move, and I think they made the same offer to Anis Belko and the yep. Embassy crew, and and um, you know he put it on loudspeaker so everyone could hear it, and <laughs> it was quite hilarious because obviously yeah. the answer was going to be no. Yeah, I think his exact words were, "Too little, too late, bro. See you later." <laughs> you know? Wow, that's a yeah, that's that's a great story. So there's lots of stories, you know, anecdotes and. It was a real, for me. It was a really amazing time, mm. and really solidified the way that I've always tried to campaign, which is with 
commission from Aboriginal communities and in allegiance and alliance with Aboriginal communities. So mm. I think the great thing about those campaigns that were run out there is that exact thing, that all campaigning in Australia, whether it's social justice or environment, needs to start with negotiating with traditional owners mm. and supporting their sovereign rights. So, you know, as much as it's about uranium and water use and the destruction of land and culture and heritage, it's also about reclaiming sovereignty, mm. Aboriginal sovereignty. I think that's the great strength of the Australian anti-nuclear movement. It's not only just my, our uh, argument, this is everybody's argument, because you're alien by now. Everybody should know what happens to it when it goes through its process and it ends up being a gun or make a bomb out of it and the wars are killing people, killing millions and millions of people. Mm. And uh, this is where we've got to stop this and make the world a better place, a purer place. And we've got so much repair, repairs to do with the land as well as our own minds and bodies and there's so many sick people out there. If we don't start doing it now, I think we're going to be, might be too late. It's pretty well too far gone already, so to speak. Yeah. But I, I believe that we can stop it and we can be better people for it at the end of the day. Mm. What, what's kept you going all these years? I guess it's been more than 30 years <coughs> fighting Olympic Dam and more broadly the nuclear industry with Antfer and all the other organising you've done. What's kept you going through all those years? You know what, funny you asked me that when I only thought about all that this morning. I think about it a lot actually, but this morning I was really into that, thinking about it. Why am I doing this? You know, I'm pushing 70 or something now. And uh, I asked myself, why am I still out there doing it? Well, it's like I have to do it because my main existence, that's why I exist, if I can say that word, that uh, is to care for the land and love the land and tell you what, I really love that old desert. Mm. And uh, even the, the old lake and all the mountain springs that this Olympic Dam has taken over uh, from our area. And I've seen lots of people 
that I that grew me up and also I grew up with a past on and I blame the Olympic Dam. I blame the karma, the bad karma, as well as the other sickness. The environment was good, clean, fresh air, fresh country. And, you know, like I said, people didn't have these sicknesses before. And there's no turning back for me. I've got to keep on doing it until I can stop them or until I go. So it's really a big uh, thing for me. Yeah, come on board, and you, you know, it's a ride that uh, you'll never ever forget, and it's something that you're doing, it's a purpose in life that you're saving the environment, mm. that you, me and our kids and our future, uh, it depends on them. So, you know, everybody, we want a good, clean environment. We don't want to... Uh, poison old, you know, poison place. We mm. want it all fresh for ourselves, the sick ones and the little ones. So, you know, get on board. You're missing mm. out, you know, you miss mm. out otherwise. With the up and coming event with the lizard, we've got, you know, we've got so many talented people going up there. Last I worked out that we've got about 20-something bands mm. coming up there, singing. Uh, we've got the zombie group dance. They're deadly, they're good. And uh, we've got punk rocks, we've got Aboriginal out there, old people doing stuff. Mm. Everybody's going to be out there having a big fun. Yeah. They don't miss out on that one. <laughs> we've got our kitchen set up, uh, food. Uh, so... It's going to be a bit cold, but that's mm. that's why we have the band, so people can dance around yeah. and stay warm. That was Uncle Kevin Buzzacott, an Arabana elder, inviting all our listeners to the Lizard Bites Back protestable at the gates of the Olympic Dam uranium mine this July 1st to 3rd. Thank you, Uncle Kevin, for an amazing discussion that featured in this show and also to Bilbo Taylor for his insights and reflections. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Radioactive Show in our 40th year, brought to you by Crunch, broadcast in the studios of 3CR and played nationally on the Community Broadcasting Network. Music on today's show is the track Awakening by Eddie Donald and the Transients, and we'll go out with that. Thank you and stay tuned for a nuclear-free future. Seems these changing days turn her away. So dive into the skies and swim your flight. Where shards of stars have shattered into.
genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. That's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. Which base provides key information for every US drone strike? played a crucial role in Iraq and Afghanistan wars, as well as providing targeting and surveillance information for the Israeli Defence Force. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. It's the Pine Gap Joint Defence Facility, located just 20 kilometres from Alice Springs on Aranda Country, and this year marks 50 years of its inglorious existence. Come and join the closed Pine Gap protest near the gates of the base from September 26th to 30th. For all the details, head to closepinegap.org. Getting quick to book your early bird bus ticket from Melbourne for just $200 return. That's closepinegap.org. See you there. Close Pine Gap is a 3CR supporter. Is terrorism. Star Wars.